Tarek's, uh, Alex Pardee worked at Tower Records. I'm sure he's tired of me telling people this story. <laughs> you know, he's like, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> so, uh, nobody does, but um, they still owe us oh, money. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when you're busy, you're busy, and that's a, that's the other thing people need to know. Artists, I think, if I'm going to give, not like I want to give any advice at all, but we deal with a lot of artists. Is that Everybody, everybody who's decent uh, is usually busy. Okay, so you have to keep that in mind. I hated painting. I did a lot of painting shows. I did a lot of customs for years, but I did never. I never enjoyed the process until Bob Ross. Hey, toy family! Welcome to another edition of the Marshan Toy Hour, where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Ham. And actually, George and Teresa were not able to join this week, so it's just going to be me going solo. But I'm not actually alone. I did invite a guest, a pretty awesome guest. So let me just go ahead and introduce him real quick before we get going. Uh, today's guest is an arts and crafts professional, beginning his career creating and inventing award-winning and best-selling toys for Hasbro and Milton Bradley. He then moved on to producing his own toys, all of which I'm not even going to attempt to try to pronounce. He's an accomplished author and illustrator of children's books. And if that wasn't enough, for the past 13 years, since 2005, I believe, he's been the co-founder, along with his wife, Annie, of the critically acclaimed contemporary art magazine, High Fructose. Let's welcome Daniel Attaboy Seifert. Welcome, Attaboy. Yeah. How you doing? How you doing? Glad to be here. What should I be calling you exactly, Daniel? I mean, do you want to be called Daniel? I know most people I know probably refer to you as Attaboy. Or should I call you as Atta? What's your preference? Ah, either way, hey, you, look out, mister, whatever you want to call me. Uh, you can call me Ada. A lot of people call me Ada. My friends call me Ada. You know, if you said, Daniel, is the truck coming? I'd probably, unless you were my wife, I'd probably get hit by the truck. <laughs> so, yeah, so you can call me whatever you like. Addy uh, or Ada sounds less stupid than Atta Boy. Granted. No, we don't have any other guests. You want you want your wife, Anne, to join us, too? Uh, she is, I think she's headed out. No. So it's just us boys. Uh, yeah, and an occasional dog. There's a pug. I'm familiar with um, your pug. I've seen your your videos. I used to watch your YouTube your YouTube channel. Oh, oh no! <laughs> and then uh, there's also the new dog Ripley, the uh, one-eyed, four-toothed uh, yes. wonder pirate. Yep. 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 So, Ada, uh, I don't go solo on the show too often. The times I have, I've been told that I've presented man crushiness going on so if i get a little too heavy-handed with you let me know just say no and i'll step back a little bit okay, okay. So, just just as long as you have a breath mint we're all good so Ada, i really don't know where to start with you because you've just you've done so damn much like your intro that's just barely scratching the surface and i mean um i don't know if we just start talking about um, high fructose or your time in the designer toy scene or your time in, uh, you know, actually working for a real toy company in Hasbro and Milton Bradley or uh, the games that you've currently designed outside of that. So it's like, um, I guess let's, let's start with the designer toy scene because you, you were in that early. You started out in the early 2000s. So you were there in just the beginning when it was just starting out here in the States. So I guess let's find out. I also know that you're a collector of toys, designer and the weird and the strange and a lot of vintage toys. So have you always been uh, a toy collector? Uh, not Well, since I went to toy school in 94. Uh, yeah, 94. So probably from that point on. 
you know, you know when the stuff, the good stuff gets to Toys R Us, and then you know what where the the good uh, flea markets were back then. Unlike myself, you, you know? can actually say you you are a true toy designer in the sense you actually went to school for this stuff. Sir, I gotta say, knowing your stuff, you know, you 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 get the honorary bestows. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's different though. There's different worlds, you know, designer toy worlds, and then the, I don't want to say the mainstream toy world, but the the other toy world, what, what, toys for children. Yeah, I guess. Um, it's a whole different world where things are based on features and repeat play value and uh, perceived value and all that kind sure. of stuff. Uh, so that's a kind of a different world. So that's the, it's uh, people think they're gonna go to toy school and learn how to make platform toys, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not what happens. But that was for platform toys. <laughs> so yeah, it was a weird thing. Yeah, it's been it a sounds weird like you had a pretty good, uh, you know, early career start with the whole games and designing and reinventing games for Hasbro. And it was Milton Bradley and what Ozdon was the other. Uh, odds on yeah the Kush people and then uh and then i worked for but they they all got they all ended up working for rome hasbro and uh all the all the toy companies go back to rome pawtucket everything goes back to pawtucket eventually (laughs) or mattel or el segundo but um all the companies get cherry picked or bought and um or go out of business uh that way um at least that's the cynical side of me but um they yeah I you know I started at, at Milton Bradley after after toy school I actually went to school for for toys and that was like boot camp for me that was nuts that that was the hardest thing I've ever done um, and uh, the second and then go and then working at Milton Bradley I was working next to rock stars to you know guys who invented uh, and designed Lucky Ducks and Simon. Wow. And, Axis and Allies and and my boss designed Hungry Hungry Hippo. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. No so, pressure there. <laughs> yeah, it was just another, you know, day of work for them. But, you know, being surrounded by these people, uh, they put up with a lot for me. Um, <laughs> and they were really great because I had way too much enthusiasm. And, uh, gosh, I learned a lot. And, and the, uh, just two years of, uh, at Milton Bradley, I, I, I learned so much. And I still use those things every day. And I, I'm really grateful. I'm really Sounds grateful. Sounds like you got the crash um, course. Oh, Lordy. Yes. They, man, they put up, you know, it was weird. I, I thought they were going to love me or fire me real quick. So I made it a point to come up with an idea or pre- present an, a new weird, strange idea every week. Oh, I week. bet you were good at that. Every, uh, yeah, <laughs> if anything. Now, the other stuff I had problems with, you know, whether it was rotocasting or ejection molding or engineering or production stuff, all of that stuff I learned by bouncing around the different offices and going and asking the one person, the engineer, like, I think we should do rotocasting. And he'd go, yeah, but it's cheaper, but the cycle times are too slow. So, you know, it's actually more expensive in the long run. And then I'd go to the next person. I'd go, well, of course, we're going to do injection molding because rotocasting <laughs> takes too long with the, the cycle times. And that's kind of how I yeah. learned. You know, I mean, that's kind of how anybody learns. But I was just doing it as a crash course, even with a toy design degree or does you know that was emphasized in in that i still i man i learned a lot in those two years and then when i came out to odds on to work at uh the work on the koosh stuff and koosh bubbles and uh tinker toys and whatnot it was like i you know became this little you know micro expert uh, on all these things and uh and um i was a good little soldier from milton bradley and 
Um, I don't know, but I've always been focused on the ideas of part, parts okay. of things. If that makes now, that sense. sounds like a dream yeah. job for a lot of people to do what you did for Hasbro. Why did you end up leaving and going off and doing your own thing? It was weird because I, when I left Milton Bradley, they um, – well, Milton Bradley and uh, – Hasbro was owned by Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers for people. I mean, this is a toy podcast, right? This so is we all good. All, We're all over the place we here. Can, we, can, we can go beyond the Magic 8 <laughs> yeah, ball, yeah, right? Sure. Behind the, okay, so um, – yeah, so Hasbro owned Milton Bradley and Hasbro, I, I mean, and uh, Parker Brothers and Parker uh, Milton Bradley's been there since Abraham Lincoln. Okay, that's how old of a company Jeez. it was. So, and Milton Bradley was this really big, powerful, ginormous uh, company that had a couple bad years with the electronic games and things after Simon. They did well with Simon, and they came out with all these other things that that kind of put them uh, them susceptible to takeover, and that's what happened. And they got bought by Hasbro. Parker Brothers got bought, bought by Hasbro, and then Hasbro bought Kenner, as you, yep. I'm sure toy nerds know. And then so whatever uh, Star Wars would be not, not have, have a good year or something like that, all the classic games would keep the lights okay. on, yep. you know? And uh, anyways, um, to answer your question, sort of, they moved Milt Bradley. They were going to move it to Parker Brothers, which was in, like, scary old, like, Salem area over over <laughs> over there. <laughs> And from Western Massachusetts, I lived in Northampton at the time, to like Salem. I forgot what what the actual town was. It was right next door, and I didn't want to go, so I ended up uh, moving out here to. And and I saw everybody have to sell their houses and everything, right. and it was yeah. sad. And and it's funny, it's just it was a couple hours away, but everybody had to really get up and move. And, and it's weird because a couple years after that, they all moved back. So uh, they moved everybody back or so, you know, they offered everybody jobs to go over there. And then, uh, you know, only a few, you know, a quarter of them went and then uh, and then they moved everybody back. So it was a really crazy thing. Oh, it sounds like um, a nightmare and, if you were uh, the one that decided to move. It's not like you, you were like had the eight ball, magic eight ball in that scenario. And well, you had children, you know, I, I guess that's the big thing. And I was the youngest person okay. there. I. I so I was fine, you know, I was totally yeah. fine. And uh, But anyways, I came out to Odds, uh, Odds On out here in San Francisco, and I had kind of ulterior motives anyways. I, I really, I was doing a lot of spoken word stuff in Northampton there as Attaboy, and I was doing a lot of weird things and running off coloring books on the Milton Bradley copy machines and uh, and things like that. And, That's not allowed. Uh, my, You're not you know, allowed to use the office equipment for your own personal use. Yeah, you probably shouldn't. You know, but again, they, my boss, I remember, my boss is, oh, Phil, is, he's the best. And he was he was just, uh, he said, you know what? You're kind of like a Robert Crumb character. you got to go live on macaroni and cheese and make make things. But he was always supportive of, of whatever I was doing. And I'm still in contact with him often now. And uh uh, anyways, then I came out here, worked on the bubble stuff. So I, I wanted to come out to San Francisco. I, I'm sorry, I bounce yep. around a lot, but um, came, came out here uh, because I, you know, that's where the beats were. This is where I had this book called um, the Happy Mutant Handbook. Okay, right? You know that I've, book? I've heard of it. Okay, yeah, it was like made by the people who did Boing Boing. Okay, okay? and uh, you know yep. Boing Boing. Okay, so Boing Boing was a zine. Okay, an actual zine that you buy at a newsstand. And uh, the editors founded Boing Boing, you know. So, anyways, they they got this book deal to do kind of a best of Boing Boing, and it was became the Happy Mutant Handbook. Anyhow, everything in that book, whether it was art cars, Burning Man, 
uh, SRL, Survival Research Laboratories, uh, Cacophony Society, The Suicide Club, uh, Weird Beat Stuff, Margaret Keene, and, and Walter Keene, and uh, all that nutty stuff, Church of Subgenius, all of that was in this book. And most of it, nine out of 10 things were centered in this area. And I was just like, that's where I want to okay, be, gotcha. you know? Uh, so, and so I was out here and I when even, even when they flew me out here just to put me, they put me up for a week just to understand what San Francisco was like, uh-huh. you know? And, and I came out here and I was, I was already at the poetry reading and doing all <laughs> stuff. like that, like that week I was doing those things and looking at, looking in the, in the guardian, looking for things. So I was always doing weird things wow. like that. And, um, yeah, so I, any, any who's, and then when they moved two years later after that, then they got absorbed back into Hasbro, back into uh, Pawtucket. They offered me a job to go back there and, and a really cool job. And, uh, and I said, you know what? I got to stay here, yeah. you know? And I had a band at the time. I was doing performance stuff. We were doing weird shows and junkyards and all sorts of things and uh, right around there. And, and we were doing, uh, and, and so I left the job. We went to, oh gosh, uh, we did a show at a place called the Odeon, and I met my wife there. Okay. Okay. She was in the audience, and then we went off to this uh, Fringe Festival in Seattle. Did a week there with our friend uh, Daniel Browning Smith, the Rubber Boy. You might have seen him on the uh, on the uh, Stan Lee show on the amazing like human. Oh yeah, 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 show. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you you know who I'm talking about? That guy, right? So uh, he's the host, right? There's Stanley, and then he's kind sure. of the host, uh, the contortionist. So we went up there with him, and he uh, slept in a closet because he preferred it that way. And <laughs> wait, wait, that's for real? He actually slept in the closet? Oh, Holy yeah. Crap. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah he, he, he dragged a mattress in there and just, <laughs> you know, you'd hear weird sounds at night. It was strange. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to go too much into the. <laughs> I don't know how much I can talk about that. But uh, anyways, we d- did the Fringe Festival. So I did the Odeon. Saw Annie in the audience. I think it was. And then we went went on the Fringe Festival and then came back. Uh, we did uh, a big show at the Great American Music Hall out here, which is like kind of where like Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Robin Williams did their sure. big shows, okay. you know, and uh, with our band. And then I had my first solo art show. And then, uh Yeah. And so it was a real, I think that was the craziest time of my life, I think. And then, uh, oh, one of them. And then, uh, and then, I, you know, and then Annie and I got, got together after that. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a real, real I'm, weird time. I'm exhausted. I, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a lot to take in. It sounds like you're a kind of a nonstop personality, kind of a addicted personality, just kind of run and go with anything and everything that you seem to take a liking to, huh? It's a problem. It, yeah, it, it's it's a, I, I yes, so, yeah. No, I, I can honestly say that. But I, I've slowed down in certain ways. Or let's say, try to prioritize. This last year has been nuts, and I tried to, I went a little too far, <laughs> I think. And uh, so I, I promised Annie I'd, I'd like at least prioritize, not slow down. She's always, it's just funny, because I, you know, I don't even know if she's here in the other room or not. But, um, <laughs> You know, I always thought like a relationship would be something where you'd have to, I don't know, you'd have to just kind of curtail your ass. I don't know. You'd have to make all these weird compromises right. creatively. And that's the opposite of what happened uh, with with, Aunt, with my wife. And, and she's always doesn't it's not encouraged. She insists 
that I'm I do the crazy thing and do the thing that I want to do while we run the magazine and things like that. And so you, I mean, a lot of the creative couples, either they don't get along and they can't work together on anything or they gel uh, really uh-huh. well. I mean, most of the ones that I know, Horrible Adorables and, um, you know, uh-huh. Potato and a lot of the other yeah. couples and Offering, they always seem to gel really well and work well together. So it sounds like you and Annie are, are in that same boat. It, it took a while. <laughs> Annie, you here? <laughs> She's no. gone. Uh, yes, she is. <laughs> You might want to chime in, but uh, it took a while. We were two control yeah. freaks, so you know. But you know, regardless of what, what I was interested in and whatnot, and the magazine was kind of a way for us to do that. I think I don't know. Okay, uh, that was weird. that happened. That was a weird time too. Well, that was two thousand five. Well, yeah. All right, let's so try to hop just... in that time capsule and go back to when. Let's do that. When uh, so you left Hasbro, so you took all your toy knowledge that you gained there, and then you started producing your own toys. And then, so, you, and that's also when you started collecting designer toys? Um, well, there was not much to collect. Okay. So this was 2000. Okay, so, yeah. So, right. The Hong so Kong I, I left that in 2000. I left the toy industry kind of, well, not left it. I was doing freelance. I was, I, I spent six months designing like teethers and baby stuff, okay. you know? Um, and, uh, while I was doing everything else and doing the performances and stuff and a bunch of, I would do, you know, all sorts of weird things and spot illustrations for papers and all, all sorts of odd things. And that's when friend Brian Quinlan, he was, he was, uh, dealing with Sony and uh, Sony, he told me or something like we could do, uh, Sony was looking for these designer toy things. We all saw these Pete, the Pete Fowler rings over at Tokyo in New York. Okay. 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 So we saw those rings and then saw his banks, okay? And and I know a lot of people know, like the Lao guys and, the you know, all those folks in Hong Kong, that was their big entry. But to us, it was those mm. things. It was weird. Uh, and that was pretty early. And that was 2000, maybe, 2001. And then I did the uh, Axtrix uh, figure with uh, Rock America through Tower Records. Like Tower Records kind of endorsed that and made a minimum order for it to make that thing possible. And that was 2001, 2002. So there wasn't many designer toys. No, all. that was re- yeah, it early was, on. That was re- I mean, what so you just got in with um Tower Records right off the yeah. bat. Did you pitch your stuff to them or they some <laughs> No, it's funny cuz I I knew Alex Party okay. from uh Ape. We used to do the Ape conventions together, the Alternative Press Expo, and the Ape was like a real fun crazy thing. I saw him at San Diego. I think we both had booths. And he had a poetry book, and I had a poetry book. Oh, kismet. Okay, his was like my book of poems. It was nuts. And it was the only thing I really bought at the convention. And I brought it back to the hotel, and I just, my friend Chris Hicks, who ended up working for Hasbro, three out of four of my good friends growing up all worked for toy industry, by the way. And I was just reading this book of poetry from him, and then I, I think I gave him mine, and mine was called Gush. It was like a weird, just, just all id kind of stuff and it was kind of a souvenir for the weird shows i'd do and uh uh anyways uh he worked at tower records uh alex party worked at tower Records. i'm sure he's tired of me telling people this <laughs> story you know he's like i don't work there anymore <laughs> so, uh, and nobody does but um they still owe us oh, money Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <not> <laughs> the magazine, you're not getting uh, that money by the way i don't think no. we're getting that money maybe we go to japan <laughs> And, and we and maybe they'll pay us in uh, in uh, Amawite Atuba CDs <laughs> <laughs> or uh, some Shonen Knife rarities or something. But uh, 
Anywho, is, uh, t- uh, he worked at Tower Records, and they did his, and then he left or something. Then they started doing his calendars. There was a guy there named Clint who was like the the best. Their zine section was nuts. Have you, you yeah, remember vaguely, that? Yeah, vaguely, yeah. Remember- and that was because this guy, Clint. And Clint was like, he was eclectic. He was into like toe footage magazines and beer magazines. He loved subcultures. And, and he had this insane system of consignment and... I don't know. I mean, it was really a great, you know, uh, just a great place to see odd things, you know. And uh, anyway, so he was doing they started printing um, Alex's uh, comics and stuff and 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 right there. And and then they started doing calendars and they I think they realized, well, they're out of business now, so we can talk about it. But what happened was I think they learned that you could take a sign. And instead of those signs that they would put up, they would just fold the sign in half and staple it and put a hole in it. And now it's a calendar. Yeah, geniuses. Yes, they asked Alex to do one, David Cho, and myself. And and then they would, like, pay us in in calendars. I'd go up to Sacramento, West Sacramento, and go pick up my calendars. And we'd make up our own holidays. And it was kind of like a, a little healthy competition we had. But it was all thanks to Alex, you know. And they just wanted weird stuff. And uh, so anyways, that happened. And I think they saw Rock America. This guy Skip was doing a lot of rock stuff uh, like T-shirts and beer cozies or whatnot for them. And then they were like, this designer toy thing is crazy. What? Uh, or I, they started per- see it percolating and they wanted to figure. I, oh, I had a like a Sculpey thing that this uh, girl, a uh, woman, uh, Danelle did. She would as like a as an intern for me. She did a, uh, a version of Axtrix. Okay which I was supposed to give to my friend Brian to bring to Sony. And and instead, I you know had Danelle sculpt it up. Anyway, so they made uh, Alex's bunny with and my Axtrix figure. But we did it at a factory that was used to making like regular toys. So they didn't understand about tampo prints <laughs> and pad, or, or we call it pad, pad printing yeah. or, or, or spray up. So they did everything with sprays instead of instead of print, uh, pad prints. And so it, it was okay. Yeah. The first one, it was a lot of problems, took a long time. Um, but it, they didn't understand that this was going to sell for, you know, $30, $40 or something, you know, mm-hmm. originally. And uh, they, so they made pretty much, the first one came in, it looked like a dog toy. <laughs> I've... And, and, and that's the thing with vinyl, too. It's the same yeah. process. So it, it depends on the durometer. Yeah. You know that. So it, it and the quality and, and the attention to detail. So, a hundred dollars or a dollar <laughs> it all depends on on the amount of attention to detail and how you approach right. it right now what was so, the run sizes you guys were doing back then today it seems like the you know only a run size of between 30 to maybe 300 might be the max run but early on <laughs> we're talking you guys are doing oh, runs of boy. upwards in a couple thousands oh yeah that was like three thousand yeah. i think or three or five maybe five I, for, and they yeah. actually sold out and, back then uh, it, you know, it's weird. It, it, it did. And then it didn't, they keep on finding them. And every oh. once in a while we keep on finding like this cache of, you know, I, I love those Instagram <laughs> posts where like, a company be like, Oh, we just found two full cases in our closet <laughs> yeah. up for sale now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Found some glow ones the other day. So yeah, the, the regular green ones were fine. And then what happened was, uh, tower went out of business, business or something. So they ended up being, I think they were on clearance at some point. So then I, I started like buying them back and having people buy them from Tower because I didn't want my little babies uh-huh. out there. 
and and uh, and then I and then I got them all back, and then I was selling, and I sold you know a great amount of them, and then uh, well then we did glow ones, and and then we moved to a different factory, and that's when the quality was really mm-hmm. sharp. You know, everything was the glow was like radiation blue. And and uh, and you know green and we then we would do five hundred or something or of of each or a hundred of the blue and then we did fuzzy ones too we did fuzzy black and fuzzy pink, and and the big thing with the Axtrix was to me it would had it had to and, and most of the things I do is I like to have some sort of interactivity yeah. you know so at, we had interchangeable mouths and things like that even from the get go and that was two thousand two. 2001 or whatever so it was we you know that way you could change the expressions and the idea being that the asterisk was the embodiment of the punctuation marks the asterisk that's that's deep i mean i i don't even think about the asterisk all that much i mean honestly of the punctuation world is probably not well it might get like a best supporting role nomination behind the hashtag of course (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that your toy had the six inter- interchangeable mouths, which I love toys that have interactivity like that. And I don't, there's toys today I don't think have as much inter- interactivity as maybe early on. But when I first got started getting into designer toys around 2003, 2005-ish, and I would see them mainly at San Diego Comic-Con. And one, one of my first ones that I saw was Andrew Bell's group, and that had inter- interchangeable faces. And then it seemed like the yeah. following year, then there was Whale Boy by Patrick Morgan, and that had interchangeable faces. And, you know, it's yeah. kind of funny how we talk about on the show, like whether accidentally or coincidentally, there's sometimes just trends in the designer toy scene. Like currently it seems like we've seen several hamburger toys. And just last week I saw two hamburger cat mashup toys by two separate artists. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Andrew, Andrew did mention that, that because he saw Axtrix and he was like, Oh, I think I should, you know, do something. And I was all for it. You know, I think it's all great. And, and yeah, we're, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on, you know? Uh, almost like what people do with 3D printing with stop mm-hmm. motion. You know, they're just like interchanging different parts or different editions, you know. It's, it's do you cool. stay on top of designer toys much anymore? Uh, a bit. My uh, my attention is uh, more, it, it's always been art related, yeah. you know. So it's less on the commerce and, and or the collectability. Even, even, I mean, I've got a pretty large collection of 1960s toys, you know, okay. especially. So I've collected like weird games and like Pie Face. When they redid Pie Face, I was like, yeah, I've had Pie Face. You know, I played Pie Face the other yeah, day. Yeah, isn't it weird that <laughs> Pie Face is having like this kind of comeback with all the new kids? Yeah, it was, and it's weird because the guys, who, the guy who runs Hasbro Games now is like my guy, my next door neighbor growing up, Brian Wilk. Uh, so, or he's the director of games or some such. I don't know. I don't know people's titles anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I think he's all into that and then i know a lot of toy inventors who do all those weird games like with the squishing eggs and the lemons and all that mm-hmm. kind of goofy it's weird how all that stuff from the 60s is, that aesthetic is coming back or that make a mess in the house thing is being accepted. Yeah, the latest one i saw uh, recently when a toy show was uh you basically try to make a, a piece of poop pop out of the toilet and like you roll the dice yes. and you have to flush so many times the number of the dice and you know, it pops out of the toy. That's a yeah. that's a fun. That's a great idea. Like my five year old would absolutely love that game. That that's right. I have I have some friends who who've been doing a lot of drawings of a lot of poop lately. <laughs> They've been telling me that. They said I've never drawn more poop. Kids in my love life. poop. 
Yeah, poop and farts and gross uh-huh. things, and I don't know how you draw a fart, but I guess it's like a cloud with three lines, right? Yeah. You know, uh, this is way too yeah. easy of a segue into designer toys because designer toys <laughs> yeah. have had their fair share of poop and fart toys in the in the beginning, in the early days, and and even now they're still going strong. So even as we age, we can just never tire uh, and you know grow out of the crass humor of the poop and fart jokes. Yeah. Well, does it, yeah. I mean, I, I it, it was a different time, you know. It, it, right about at that point, I remember showing Axtrix at uh, Comic Con, and there wasn't any of that stuff. There was Junkos, Junkos Glow in the Dark Hell Baby, in a you know in a white box without a without a label, okay. And I remember running over there in the last day of Comic Con, going like, I "Gotta get this, gotta get this," you know. And and I got that from Junko, and I remember Critterbox. Yes. And, had had a had a postcard on a table on half a table, and it was of a, of Eddie Cable. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh no, I'm sorry. It was like Pippin Norton P- or Eddie Pippin Cable, Norton. but it was just a postcard. That was that was my yeah, first just... foray in designer toys. I got a booth at San Diego Comic Con in 2003 yeah. or four, and they were like just across yep. the way. And I my head exploded from what they had, and then I walked over to the other side of the convention center and I saw ugly dolls and what you guys were you know death yeah. creatures and, yeah. and so that was yeah. 2003 yeah. i think was the year of discovering designer choice for her me and that's right that and Mattel, the Mattel yes. stuff that was right around that yep. time too yeah that was pretty uh, yeah i mean that was that was the stuff and, and and i mean before that like scene did those uh those pigs like those gross pig things and and kozik did some some weird thing too back then if i'm gonna you know <laughs> i'm gonna give Credit for chronological nonsense, but uh, it doesn't matter. But, but well, I uh, found your artwork okay. offensive. How about that? Uh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I do remember going to San Diego Comic Con, and I, we haven't actually for anyone who's not familiar with your your style, Attaboy, It's uh, I remember going to your your booth at uh, San Diego Comic Con, and it's it drew me to it because it had a I'm I lean very on more on the cute side, but at the same time as yeah. the cuteness drew me into your work. There was almost a sense of your artwork is very like high energy and it almost gives you a sense of uneasiness and anxiety. Sometimes there's a lot going on, and uh, so I would <laughs> so I wouldn't say that I was offended, but at the same time I'm like, yeah. Here's well, this, this is kind of funny actually because I would be like, oh my god, what kind of acid trip is this guy on to create this sort of artwork? But the funny thing is, is You've never had a drink of alcohol. You don't. You've never done drugs. You don't drink coffee. No. So all of no. this crazy yeah. stuff that you're coming up with is just. It's just you. You're not yeah. getting any psychedelic yeah. help. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Um, I think Annie told me that my stuff always has a perversion to it. It has a no matter what. It has a little perversion mm-hmm. to it, and 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 I I think it maybe does or maybe. I shouldn't say that aloud because I've done kids books, but, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I um, so maybe subversiveness. I, I don't know. I can't, I kind of can't help it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it, what it is. It, it ties into the, probably the, all the weird performance poetry stuff I was doing too. Okay. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. Well, it's I'm working exactly for you. Sure. Whatever you're doing, it's working for you. <laughs> I don't it's know like, about it's that. It's just, either. you had that style, like all your, all your designs and especially your characters and your toys is like, I think you even said once, like everything is like filled with goo. So it's like, you just, yeah. you just and yeah. I can see that <laughs> in your art. I feel like I was to pick up and squeeze it. It would just, it'd be one of those squish toys <laughs> where the eyes would get big and the stomachs and feet get big yeah, yeah. or they would burst and I would just be covered in gooey mess. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I wish I was like, man, if I could just go a little bit more like, 
you know, a little more Tokidoki or something. Yeah. You know, I would have sold a lot more stuff, but I was, it was always funny, like showing stuff next to Alex because Alex's stuff was always so freaking scary and demented. His stuff was kind of, uh, well, Annie and I would say all the time, everything is cute and fucked mm-hmm. up, you know, but, uh, my stuff was more like fucked up and cute <laughs> or so. I don't know. It was like reversed or something, yeah. you know? Uh, so, but between him and like Way Shack and, uh, Dave, Dave Korea and everybody over there showing their stuff. And then my stuff would be next to it, but I'll be kind of from the, I, I don't know, some sort of uh, strange, uh, I don't know, kind of kind of work. You know, the Axtrix was created to kind of throw back at like all the Miyazaki movies that I was seeing at the time, you know? And, uh, and I was always like, this stuff has to come from somewhere, some weird folklore, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I was always into that, like creating characters that I could throw back like odd things that look like they existed from a, a world that you don't know about right. yet. Does that no, make it does. sense? It does. Yeah. So, so there must be some backstory. So even if it was like attached to a punctuation mark or something, the idea was like, wait a minute, there was punctuation mark and there were characters. There were like these little gods or these little spirits, you know, like the Shinto Shinto mm-hmm. stuff. Then the idea that everything has a soul or an animal or spirit animal or something like that. You know, so that kind of thing, I kind of wanted to throw that back at, 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 you know, Japan and have them show up in Japan and go like, where did this come from? And do what they do to us with like Miyazaki when you see like okay, some follow, yeah. crazy, okay. like ginseng looking rutabaga on an elevator freak out. You're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, where's that coming from? So uh, I kind of like that. And so I would get really literal and, and, and just kind of think about their story and then things get would get so literal that it would kind of fold in on itself. Okay. Okay, I, gotcha. I, I think it does. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I want to talk to you about Adam, was like, yes. I, you're going to have a unique perspective on the designer toy scene and it's crossover with the, you know, the contemporary fine art world. I mean, you've experienced the early days of designer toys and sure. you know, that's where toys were being designed by popular artists in other fields, whether it be popular artists in the street uh, scene or the gallery scene. And they were just uh, essentially applying their popular works on toys as well. And mm-hmm. then the toy scene became this thing where it wasn't just people doing you know, art and then getting into toys. It was also people like myself and a lot of others that discovered designer toys and then kind of came up through designer toys without having uh, an art life outside of outside of toys and uh so that's kind of what i'm gonna get your perspective on running the magazine high fructose and be a a collector of toys and you've done um you've designed books for ron english and gary baseman and in in the early days in in your publication you've had i mean a lot of people that have worked in toys that have huge careers outside of toys like james jean uh uh, gary texali Tara McPherson, like you mentioned, Alex Pardee, mm-hmm. Greg Crayola Simpkins, Jeff Soto, Dalek, Tim Biscup. I mean, I could, mm, yeah. th- you know, the list is just seemingly endless. So to you, where are art toys or designer toys in relation to the contemporary fine art scene? I mean, huh. there's still lowbrow. I mean, when I first got into toys, the term was lowbrow toys, lowbrow art. Is it, are we still calling it lowbrow or has that changed? Um... Well, now it's different. I mean, originally they were called art toys. Yeah. We, we were calling them art toys or and then designer toys. And then they were called urban vinyl. Okay. But then the stuff that Critter Box was doing and Gary Baseman, Dave Cooper, that wouldn't – is that urban vinyl? You know? So they were like, okay, or I guess this is 
our toys, just kind of how is this, is our things lowbrow or pop surreal, you know? So there's mm-hmm. always that kind of thing and people trying to put names on things. And uh, Annie, we were, I think we were thinking, now I don't want to speak for her because that's the fun of high fructose is we, we don't agree on a lot of things and we get to kind of figure it out through the pages of the magazine, you know? Okay. And our influences, the things that we're into, it's in the magazine. Like that's the, if you want to know what we're doing, what we're looking thinking about, it's in the magazine. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, um, but uh, they became affordable sculptures. They were the way that uh, to me, it's a medium, uh, a medium like the uh, art poster movement, you know, with all the, the gig posters and all that kind of stuff from the Fillmore. Mm-hmm. On. Okay. So this was another way to express popular semi uh, subcultures through uh, a physical manifestation so it was like a, a sculpture it was an affordable sculpture that was that had the artist's hand they are in a sense vanity pieces or sculptures you know um and uh, when they're treated that way to me that was that it was such a great time for that it was I, I really the ones that to me were most successful were the ones that weren't just they, they embodied those. And some of them were just characters that you've always wanted to see. You've always seen in two dimensions. You wanted to see in three. Right. Yeah. And a way to afford to see that happen. And you get to for a hundred dollars or something, you get to, you know, own that effigy, you know, in, and mm-hmm. uh, that subculture effigy and have a. You know, I, I'm not. I don't know if I'm answering your question. But. No, I mean you are. I mean, I think you mentioned like Ron English. He sells his paintings for you know twenty thousand dollars. But sure, the average person, myself, I can't possibly afford that. But I can't afford the forty to sixty dollar toy that he produces. Yeah. So you know that makes sense to me. Yeah. So um, I mean that was kind of a cool and and also a lot of the whether they're pop surreal at the time or now new contemporary art uh, or whatever they're called they they uh, had an affinity for that kind of stuff. You know, that's why even folks like Todd Shore or Mark Ryden did these vinyl sculpture slash toys. To me, see, it's hard for me to say they're toys because coming from the the other toy world, they're not toys. They're they're statues. They're statues with arms because they don't they don't have that play value. You know, right? So right. It's, I've always been in that even during that heyday or that during that time, which was really exciting, by the way. It felt like anything could happen, and so many projects that were amazing never did happen. Uh, you know, um, but I still can't, I couldn't call them toys so much in my head. I would say it, but I was like, ah, they're not really toys. They're, they're, you know, they're vinyls or they're sculptures or they're, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and now I don't know with everything's been, you know, the licensing really came in and kind of killed a lot of it. I don't know. But then the resin stuff you vote, but you, you've always also had garage kits. You know, I just got, got back yeah. from Monster Palooza. And Monster Palooza, there was tons of resin, resin sculptures licensed and not and garage kits and that kind of. It was just amazing. So uh, you'll always get that kind of stuff going on. And uh, I don't know that that's exciting to me. I always like that kind of kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question specifically, but things change too when uh, platform toys um, happen, and yeah. and uh, the artists were. I don't know. It was nice to see a painting come to life in three dimensions. Mm-hmm. And I didn't come from that. I mean, I was doing art shows, but I came from a totally different place. You know, there were people who came from designer toy world. Then there was the people who came, you know, whether they were doing graffiti stuff and then then into toys. Um, but and then I don't know where I came. I came from a side, a sideway, you know. 
Now, how do you how do you feel about so the designer's toy scenes like sort sort of saw a shift? Like in the beginning, it was a lot of people, like I said, having you know already yeah. established art careers outside of toys, but then they're dabbling in toys and applying, you know, letting their two D paintings become three D objects, and then the independent producers and the, anybody and everybody just realized, hey, I can have a toy made too. Do you think that affected the mindset of the? the established and more popular artists who were doing the toy scene. And once it became more of a anybody and everybody independent sort of thing, do you think that turned them off to the, uh, the toy scene a little bit? I think the speculators actually came and, and hurt, hurt it more than anything else. I, I think okay. that, that, um, and then the licensing and then the platform for no reason type stuff. Now, what do you mean when you say that licensing had an effect on like, Are you talking about when like, artists license out their designs to be on a platform toy? No, no, even that was, that was, I mean, that was kind of quintessential designer toy stuff because it was based on the artists, I, you know, I guess. Um, and, uh, but, but, the, but, you know, what fun, what Funko is doing now, there's just no, there's no way you can compete with in that world, you know? Oh, pop culture licensing. Okay. When I started seeing that, I was like, Oh, and, and listen, I knew Mike Becker too, the, who was doing the, the bobbleheads, but that was different. Yeah. And, and Mike was doing, you know, Mike brought back, you know, was he may remade bobbleheads and he picked obscure licenses, you know, whether it was funny face drinks or the cow, you know, weird cartoon characters and all sorts of things. And, and he had a, a pure love for for the obscure. And now, for for the listeners who aren't familiar, Mike Becker is actually the original owner of Funko. And back then, they were doing just bob, mainly just bottle. I believe heads. it was him and his wife. Yeah, and and I think he started in a garage too. I know there's a documentary mm-hmm. coming out on on Netflix or something. Yeah, no, it's called yeah, it's called Making Fun. It's gonna be on Netflix. I think the NMA sometime. I, I I hope they show Mike Becker's stuff too, and not just the. You know, because he he really okay. made that, and it was weird when when Funko got uh, when he sold Funko, or they sold Funko. I I was kind of like, what? Mm-hmm. What are they going to do more bobbleheads? And how are they going to you know? And it, <laughs> um, it's funny because the Star Wars ones are were bobbleheads, right? And that was yeah. they were bo- bobbleheads with stands, you know. That's that's part of the license. That's they right. Have they to have to have yeah. the stands. Yeah. So uh, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that goes, but. Uh, any, any, any who's so that now, now that designer toy aesthetic is an aesthetic. And it was funny because uh, Hasbro tried it before with their um, uh, Mighty Mugs. Oh, and now Mighty yep. Mugs was done by my other friend Chris Hicks. He designed okay. those at Hasbro. So him and, and my Brian uh, both worked for uh, Hasbro at different times. So. Uh, I think designer toys have definitely influenced the whole toy industry as a whole. I mean, just look at blind boxes. Early on, it was primarily designer toys that was doing blind box toys. And now you can't go into a Target or Walmart Ah. and not see probably 20 different companies all just doing blind box toys. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how successful they are, but I guess maybe the – all those – especially for for girls and things like that. And then like the – uh, the what not uh, grocery gang, you know, grocery gang that's invented mm-hmm. by yep. some friends of mine, including my friend, uh, my old um, roommate, uh, Aaron Tompkins, who did swear bears and things like that. Yeah, uh, no, but, I, I think the blind box are actually probably doing pretty well in the you know the big box store because as a parent, you 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 know your kids want to go to the the toy section and they want you, but you can't afford the 
20 to 40, you know, $40 toy every time you go to Target or a Walmart or something like that. But you can't afford just the quick three to five or dollar little blind bag or blind box and your kids are more than happy and you're happy as a parent that you got out of there with no fuss. So I think they're probably doing pretty well in the in the big box stores. But designer toy scene, that I don't know because now we're seeing blind boxes in the $15 price range. And, you know, blind box is essentially a gamble. And who's going to take the gamble, $15 gamble, for a toy they might not want? Yeah, I yeah I don't know I mean so to me I mean that kind of stuff kind of lives on but I mean that's just kind of I don't know <laughs> no <laughs> you're know. you're good you're good now you were saying early on when you're in the toy scene that you didn't see them as necessarily toys you guys are calling them art objects and you saw them as as sculptors and or in some cases very large scale sculptures and that's one thing that when when Clouderon they were talking about how they want to break the toy scene more into the fine art scene by going really large of their sculptures and appeal more to that fine art collector as well as the toy people but they want the toy the fine art people to not just see toys anymore they wanted to see that as art as well i think that's the way to go you know when when we started the magazine uh annie and i thought we you know it's called high fructose toy exploitation magazine and and we thought and this was 2005 we were inspired by brian mccarty's photos and and all the other stuff that was going on was just like this stuff is it, it just said a lot about a way, a different way to view art, you know, uh, that it was accessible. It was didn't it could be serious, but it didn't take itself too seriously. So that was kind of a, an approachable, cool way for I don't know. So we were inspired by that. And then eventually the, the magazine issue two on moved and we were like, well, we're covering everything in the context of art anyway. So let's just continue that. And it became, I guess, more of an art magazine. But it's always been even from the beginning. So. Uh, what was, I don't know what the question, it was no question, I was just, there There really wasn't like a question, I was just sort of pointing out that, you know, with like the crossover of designer toys going more into the fine art field, we have a lot of artists working in other fields, not just toys, and you know, then I mentioned that Clutter is doing the large scale stuff and wanting to, you know, use the toys as more of an entry point to appeal to a much larger collecting base that is the fine art collector. Well, the toys were kind of like an entry level, you know, uh, away there into a a different world. And that usually led to uh, people owning bronzes and and sculptures Mm -hmm. and and that, you know, that kind of thing. And I I think that's a good thing. It's a a great way. No, it's a great thing. And I I would say I wouldn't suggest to someone just starting out, go go for the $4,000 bronze sculpture large scale toy. I mean, I would probably suggest someone to... You know, start small with resin runs and, and, and come up that way before going large scale. I mean, I, I feel like the, the really high end stuff is more reserved for the people with an established fan base and have a, you know, are actually re- fairly popular and have a strong fan base. Are you talking about people who want to get into, quote, designer toys? You know, that kind of thing? Because, well, I would say someone I, who's. See, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm wary I, of scenes of any kind. And I. And, well, not 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 really scenes per se, but I think uh, there's a lot of designer toy people who are who are coming up through designer toys who are now wanting to. They would love to grace the pages of High Fructose or have their own uh, solo gallery shows sure. and stuff like that. But they're coming up through doing customs and micro ones of resin production, independent sure. production. But you know, their end game is to become that established artist outside of the toy world and also dabbling in the toy world. So I mean, it's like. You would never want to suggest someone go big and try to sell a four thousand dollars sculpture. That's just not. I, I, I don't know. I think they should just go where their voice is, you know. And I, I think to follow because in the it's hard regardless. On a good day, 
it's hard, you know, and, yeah. and uh, even and when you say popular artists, it, it's funny because even the most popular artists, I know they are popular, but, but and there are very popular artists, but the majority of quote popular artists aren't known to the average person. So even, even the most famous person <laughs> we show in That's... high fructose is still like Kahinde Wiley is maybe known now because of the Obama uh, portrait. Um, but and yeah. he had a, a museum reputation and, and, you know, he's very successful. But as far as popular, you know, once Warhol and Dali died and Picasso and, and, and that was it, you know, uh, now maybe you get Shepard and uh, Banksy, you know, um, and okay. Clark and yeah. Mark Ryden, you know. Yeah, so I don't know. It's, I, I, I'm just throwing that out there, I guess. No, believe me, I, I totally agree with you. It's what you're 100 percent right. It's Thanks, just like yeah. it's just that term popular. I, I use it a little more loosely, just with the the toy scene and the, the you know toy sales and stuff like that. Versus, sure. you know, I'm not saying yeah. famous by any means. You know, I don't think there's. I'm not sure there's really many people in the toy scene that are worldwide famous. But yeah. um, but anyways, yeah. so. Now earlier I was I was kind of mentioning about the trends that I saw like in the early days and still today there's a lot of trends and in, in toys I mean tons of use of skulls and cats and food and monkeys and you know you definitely see the the trends every year so how does that is that are there trends in the fine art world as well just like we have in the designer toy scene Oh gosh yes oh gosh yes antlers was the big one for a long time oh, I, mean, was, huge. I think we had a no antler rule for a while <laughs> no antlers <laughs> you know. Uh, no more antlers or uh, I mean skulls are a, bit, a big one. It's hard to escape the skull though. But yeah. uh, you know I, I'll even I'll even <laughs> a skull will come out uh, in my stuff every <laughs> once. I mean, they just has to. Um, yeah, but in designer toys, it almost it's almost you know. every day you can search a, a toy blog and there might be four skull based toys <laughs> sure. that day. You got you got the the candy sugar skull T shirt on <laughs> sure. or it's a skull and it's just sometimes it's like the easy entry yeah. point or the low hanging sure. fruit. Just go for well, the skull. As humans we are self centered, so anything that it you know talks about our mortality resonates immediately. You know? So I, I think yeah. that's an easier uh, way to go, I think. Um, I think we all, we all have skulls. We all have skulls in common. I we guess. do skulls and antlers. <laughs> oh, Kyle's gonna love this episode. Um, skulls and antlers. So I always said that if you're gonna draw something and it just needs some oomph or just needs to be made cool, add antlers. I mean, honestly, antlers makes everything cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I liked what you're doing though. We have your bat on uh, in our kitchen. Yeah, yeah, always, I, yeah. I, I love that because um, I just love the – I don't know whether you cast it from the wood, like you did the first one out of wood and then cast it from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that – and it, I love yep. that. I love that. It shows oh, the uh, – you know, you can almost see the grain, you know? I mean, you can see the yeah. grain and like the – just the crudeness. Nothing was perfect. Yeah. You know, like a lot of things come out of a – you know, 3D and everything's yeah. mirrored and perfect. Yeah. Like when I would cast my wood stuff, you would get the all the imperfections, yeah. the little chips and the dings. And so, yeah, a lot of people, I like, that's one aspect that I like is just casting whatever I made out of wood. And most people, they, they think they're buying a wood toy until they pick it up and like, holy crap, this is yeah. not, it's not, this that's isn't fantastic. wood. You'll have to put um, batteries uh, in it. Or, or you'll have to put uh, <laughs> a thing of lead. I was telling that Andy, Annie the other day that, uh, when the uh, technology of the transistor radio got so small, they had to put lead 
gate slugs in the bottom of the, of the radio because people didn't want to buy such a <laughs> right. light radio, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. no, it's funny because it's true because I know people that the weight yeah. really matters yeah. to them, whether it's, especially the ones that are used to resin. And if they make the switch, start making yeah. the switch over to Sufubi toys, like Sufubi is so light and sometimes it's a little, um, like yeah. a little squishy. It's and squishy. Um, <laughs> so it, I know one guy who uh, just couldn't get into it because it was so light and he said he was wanting to pour resin inside the Sufubi just to make it feel more substantial. Yeah. To him. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I, you know, I've never bought one of those. I, I don't. I almost bought a Mothra at, at um, Monster Palooza, and and I said, "Oh, is that Mothra there?" And these people came from Japan. <laughs> they were right next to the Godzilla guy, the guy who was in the costume of Godzilla, right? Wow. And and so and I see yeah. Mothra, and I'm like, "I'm gonna uh, is that Mothra?" And and then I didn't grab it, and the guy next to me goes, oh, "I'll grab Mothra," and he bought it and bought it. Grabbed and bought it. That was it. <laughs> too too slow. Yeah. I mean, that's I honestly I don't know if you're paying much attention to designer toy scene enough to know like what's going on in Asia right now, but Asia is having this just boom like they're they're having what we were experiencing, I'm probably even more so than what you know the, the art what we say our heyday was like they are really really booming. It almost feels like there's something completely new going on over there. I mean we're still doing okay domestically, sure. but you know it it definitely slowed down when when Kid Robot was going through hard times. A lot of people weren't mass producing yeah. as much anymore, and you know now I, I think there definitely is a turn for the um, you know U.S. domestic market where I think we're definitely on an uptick. And Kid Robot seems to be doing well, and a new company coming out with um, Super Plastic, Paul Budnitz and Hunt Gear. You know, seems to be revving up to do something new in toys, and so that's exciting. But yeah, I saw that with the janky thing, which yeah, weird. Well, it's 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 too early to tell. We're still just seeing leaks, so we don't really know what's going to happen. But I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. But um, as far as like Asia, everything is just really in in just a Sofubi way or in another way. Like oh no, it's definitely no Sofubi's become really popular, so that's doing great. And in fact, all the factories in in Japan seem like they're bottlenecked with independent work and Medicom work and stuff like that. So um, no, but I'm also talking about just it seems like a lot of the Asian countries are now taking part in designer toys. When the early 2000s, it was mainly what China and, and Japan for the most part, but now it's, you know, Thailand's big in, into it. Um, Singapore is a lot of producers in Singapore, a lot of artists sure. in Singapore, uh, Korea, tons of artists work coming out of Korea and we're seeing tons of different uh, conventions coming out of all, um, a bunch of different countries in Asia. So it's, it's really yeah. taken hold in um, Asia. And so it's really exciting to watch. And so we've got, and you yeah. know, we've also got some great producers like uh, unbox and mm-hmm. instinct toy, you know, producing, uh, it's not Sofubi toys, but soft final toys out there using you know China factories, and they're doing amazing yeah. work, top quality pieces, and so it's just really exciting times and designer toys, and it's kind of fun being able to watch it, and you know hopefully it's going to really have a, a positive effect on the North American market too. Yeah, I'm not totally familiar with all, with a lot of it. I'm I'm probably more than the average person, but uh, but uh, you know, I mean, I did see like the the, the Star Wars uh, samurai guys and things like that, you know. And I was like, the, I was yeah. always I'm tempted, you know. I said those are pretty nice, those are pretty yeah. cool. But uh, and, and you know what Ashley Wood is doing, you know, he's been doing this stuff all along too with three uh, A, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah that stuff sure. is like what Lau was doing, but. But, but yeah. you know, in his own world, I and mean, that stuff's nuts. Yeah. It, it, you know, some of this stuff yeah. I can't, it's funny because I, I stay away from because if I get one, then I'm going to be hooked. Uh, 
You know, yeah. I, I just bought some aquarium plants the other day, you know, like they, they glow in the dark and stuff. And I've been circling the, the aquarium plants for, for like months. <laughs> and I was just looking at them. Well, if I owned one, it would be one of those, you know, and it's... then I just got one. And now I have seven. Oh, God, it's a rabbit hole. I don't hole, have an aquarium. Right? Okay. It's just I get hooked and that and that's it. So it's uh, yeah. And, and I was like that with Fisher Price pull toys and things like that, or stuff in the '60s or Cragston Wackies. I don't know if you know Cragston Wacky stuff. Uh, that stuff is just uh, awesome. Oh yeah, no, I believe me. I, I would love to own a lot more than I currently do. I mean, I'm an addictive personality. If I let myself start yeah. collecting something, I can easily Dude. go down that hole. But now that I'm getting older, huh? I'm a little more reserved on what I spend my money in, and I don't like clutter. So I'm really trying to cut back and withhold on. Starting a new addiction. Yeah, I still have a Dunny. What is that? I was in the Series Three and Series. I don't know what. And I still have the the, the thing sealed in the box, the whole set. <laughs> no, I'm familiar with that. I have yeah. I have a closet <laughs> with a couple full cases, and I I keep them because they're mementos, but also because yeah. I don't want to get caught by the other artists selling their stuff. I don't want to offend anybody thinking that I don't want their pieces yeah. because, you know, it's oh it's, sure it's fickle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta be careful. I don't know. I have a lot of a lot of games. Games are God. Games take up way too much room. Ah, oh, way too much room, and they just and they're and they're usually worth very little. <laughs> now, yeah, but and you're a huge collector of like the old school games too, right? Yes, and I uh, I uh, it's just if it involves human like human beings doing weird things, that's like my favorite stuff. So it's almost like it makes people do performance art, you know, and uh, that's why. Uh, oh, I guess I'll plug the the new game that, that we did, the uh, vampires versus unicorns, uh, and yes. which is a throwing card game, but it has art by Travis Lampy and Travis Louie and um, my friend uh, Jim Dubois, and I uh, made that and I I produced it and uh, yeah, it's nuts. And and some of the game folks, it's funny because some some of the strategy folks. They hate the game. They just, oh my god! They one guy on a video, he hit it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> oh jeez! He, he he hated it, and I and I the, before I turn off the sound because I didn't want to hear him. You know, I was just I was like, I don't need to hear this. He said, it makes my back hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you have to pick him up off the floor. Oh, come actually, on. physical stuff, you know. And and, yeah. and I love that. <laughs> That's yeah. it's like so. a. It's like fifty-two card, you know, pickup with, with 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 great yeah, art. Yeah, and but, and then the art folks, some of them were like, "I don't want to throw such nice art," you know. And I said, yeah. "I know that's why I love it." <laughs> I, one thing that I really love about that series is, like you said, it's so it could be a game to the game people, but to yeah. the artists, it's frameable it is, art. It they is. don't want to just throw that's that stuff right. around. So, it's but kinda... the strategy game folks, that's a whole nother scene that's really nuts. And those guys are so yeah. particular and, uh, you know, demoed at some of these game stores. And it's funny, you know, some of them are, are they, you know, they, they, they wrap their head around it. And they look, and honestly, when kids play with their parents, they have a uh, such a great time. And, and we watch mm. people laugh and they get, you know, people when they drink and they play it, it's great. But, but really, people really, it's hard to take yourself seriously while you're playing it. And and uh, somebody said recently, it was like it it brings fun to failure. You know, because it's hard to do. And so you can be so serious and so physically active and you throw it and it just goes disastrous. And and I like that. 
You know, I, I like things like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me is the art of it. And uh, I'm doing another game with another artist and I, I got to sign an agreement with him before I tell you. But it's it, it's actually played on a table. Not the floor this time. Uh, yeah, not on the floor. <laughs> and uh, and then there's a third one that, man, I don't know. It's nuts. And then a, a fourth one actually does have a license, but uh, we will see. It is it is okay. uh, obscure. That sounds like a lot of fun coming up with these games, though. I think, I don't know, it was an attempt to see if it could take the old world and the new worlds and the things I'm interested in now and when I was 20 and merge them together, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I just want one of them. I mean, that's kind of why I make them, you know. So uh, it's, well, that sounds, I, I don't know. That sounds awesome. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun because I love playing games and I love game nights and I love watching uh, GS and TV and all that sort of stuff. And we love playing a lot of games on the podcast, too. And one that we haven't played yet that I want to kind of play is, you know that game where you wear the dental dam? I think it's called Speak Out, and while you're wearing it, you try, the people uh, try to guess what you're saying with it. I want to play that uh, on the podcast and get people to try to guess like artist names and stuff like that. I think that would uh, be fun. I know that game. I know there's a couple of knockoffs of it too, but I, I don't, I've never played it, but I, I like it. I like that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's, that's great. But you know, what if we could merge the art world with that stuff, you know, I mean, it's starting to happen a little bit and I'm, um, you know, we'll see. Do you and, ever sleep at a, it seems like you're probably, oh, your brain's constantly pretty, cooking up something, you know? You silly. I, I, yeah. I've been pitching stuff to Hollywood for the last 10 years and a lot of things got optioned and bolted and a lot of things are get made and, and never seen. Um, and so, <laughs> and, and yeah. that's, yeah, that's been going on for years. And, um, so there's always a lot of, a lot of different things that we've got. Let's see what else the magazine, we've got a, um, fashion book coming out and uh-huh. they moved it to January cause we got a better distributor. But um, it's going to be going through Abrams or something, and that's the High Fructose New Contemporary Fashion Book, okay. and and the, our box set too. The, I guess I'm plugging. Am I plugging? That's good. Plugging is good. Okay. Well, the new box set is coming out soon, and that's that took forever to make. This is the collected I, volume four. Yes, it's got uh, velvet flocked prints, and uh, and that was Annie's idea of the first box, uh, the third box set, because she has all these you know 60s 70s kind of uh, velvet posters mm-hmm. and things and so we this time we did it with isabel samaris and uh chuck sperry and uh and andrew brandow and uh yeah we got sticker book and i mean the thing's nuts the, the, it looks really. awesome um, and last yeah, yeah. for those not familiar check out highfructose.com go to the store the um, box set volume four is up for yep. pre-order now at 75 dollars 2500 copies and honestly yeah. Um, I think any collector is going to be ecstatic to own the set because the time and effort you guys have put into it, it looks incredible. Very high end. And lots of extra little fun features. It is. All the other ones sold out pretty quick. And uh, and we don't, never redo the box. The books often get reprinted, but um, it's a good way to re, um, go back and fix things, expand things, put gatefold, fold out things, mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. But, um, you know, add ribbon ribbon ties to everything <laughs> and last half is is they are awesome to work with on this thing only they would do this and allow us to do this for the first one it, it just nobody they were like reprint a magazine that sounds that doesn't make sense you know all these different publishers did not understand it last gasp said that sounds like a good idea 
and they understood it and then they let us go with it and, and get nuts with it. That's and, awesome. Uh, That's awesome. Now, do they handle all of the packaging and all that stuff too? Because I know you guys have lots of different features and foldouts and posters and masks and all that sort of stuff. So do they compile all that and then ship it to you to be shipped oh, or? Oh, no. Yeah, no, we, 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 yeah, no, they definitely do it. They, okay. They, we don't assemble it, no, but we do get it packed out um, expertly, and uh, so that you know, we we really crazy about corners around here. We want to make sure nobody gets a busted corner. <laughs> oh God, you can't! Yeah, the collectors. Well, you'll hear about it from the collectors that there's a bent corner. <laughs> so that's at the printers now, and that's so if someone wants to pre-order that, that's set to arrive in May. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna probably show up at the end of this month, and a couple. I guess this is the end of the month, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yes, it should show up pretty soon. It'll take a while to pack it out right because we have it packed out real great. Uh, and uh, I don't know how many we have left that we're going to have. So I would get it sooner than later. Okay. Uh, but um, and maybe we'll do a signing or something somewhere in either L.A. or you're in like Arizona or something. I'm in, somewhere? Yeah. But no, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona roasting. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah, you said AC before. Oh yeah, no, I have. Yeah, I definitely have to run the AC before I start the podcast. I mean, my studio is really small, so we're almost hitting triple digits here in Phoenix. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta run the AC to kind of cool off the room and everything. But so you know, I guess while we're promoting things, I'm just gonna take a brief moment and mention some of our sponsors. So for all your designer toy needs, wants, and desires, head on over to strangecattoys.com, load up that cart, and at checkout you'll receive 10% off your entire order by using promo code SOTERESA. It's all one word, no space between it, so it's S-O-T-H-E-R-E-S-A, and you'll receive 10% off your entire order by using SOTERESA. And there's also another great store, 3DRetro.com, and they also have a beautiful brick-and-mortar location out there in Southern California. And for all your daily designer toy news, be sure to follow and like SpankyStokes.com and TheToyChronicle.com. And if apps are your thing, be sure to download the Toy Chronicle app at one of your favorite application stores. And before we were doing the promo, we are talking about how warm it is here in Phoenix. Now, you're in L.A., right? Yeah. I, I, well, I'm in, San, I'm in the Bay Area. Oh, okay. So your weather, you get some chilly weather then. Oh, yeah. No, we get that nice, uh, we get the fog coming in. And, okay. Uh, that that you... saves the day half the time. We get about ten hot days, and that's about it. Oh, it's not bad. But but when it's hot, see, we don't have that AC. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be miserable. I couldn't do it. I live in the AC. If I'm not in the AC, I'm at a water park during the summer. So, um, but you're you're a West Coast guy now. But you you spent a lot of time in the East Coast too, didn't you? In New York City. Yeah, I don't think I could go back to New York though. I I think I have to. Especially with the yeah. winter they had this year. Forget about it. Yeah. Gosh, I, I, I spent way too much time in that weather. <laughs> um, you know, last time I was there is uh, two Februarys ago, and I just kept on saying, nope, nope. Like, <laughs> I was walking around, it was like negative <laughs> five, and it, the words were just coming out of my face. Uh-huh. They were just cut, the words were coming out without my even, my brain was not in control. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what was going on, but it, it was, I, I did a signing at, uh, a, uh, what was it, AF? Gallery of the uh, AF, AFA. Uh, yes, I think yeah. so. It's all. It's, it seems like a world away. Yeah. I did a, a book signing. I had a book come out called The Book of Hugs. Yes. <laughs> I'm familiar. <laughs> and um, you've so, done uh, how many children's books have you done now? You've well, done several. I don't know if they're technically children's books. That's why well, they don't sell. Them. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I can see that, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always like the. Um, I have a book called the a, uh, Uncle Shelby's ABCs. You you know that book? I, by Shel I don't know that one, but I know your polka dot one. Oh, well, I didn't do that one, but Shel Silverstein did this book, and this book is so sub subversive. It's a classic. Okay. I'll send you one. I'll, I should just hoard them and give them to people because they're so. <laughs> it's hard to find because it's not like his normal stuff. Anyways. So I'm kind of more on that bent of things, you okay. know. I like the the weird stuff, but uh, yeah, it's, did that book a book called "You Might Be a Monster" and other stories I made up. Yep. Um, with a medium, those are the people who did the Octonauts books. Hopefully, I didn't let them down too much, but that book is really strange. I think it's like a picture book, but it's got like I don't know, way too many words for a picture book, <laughs> and uh, it's like every idea I had for kids' books all in one place. <laughs> Ada, Ada, I'm a parent. I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I read a lot of yeah. books at bedtime. I okay. need these things to be under five minutes, okay? Yeah, well, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I'm just going to read the last, par the last sentence of your five paragraphs. I just yeah. need one sentence per page, Ada. That's it. Yeah, see, that would make sense, and that would be profitable, and <laughs> and that that's like the antithesis of what I what want to do. So, and then so, but and then after that, I did another book called. Uh, called the polka dots learn the polka yes. because I wanted to do the opposite, and uh, and that's almost like if David Mamet did a kids book, okay? Okay. So it's it's a it's that has very few words in it. I'll send that to you because you'll like that. They'll like that. Oh yeah, and they'll love that. It's really silly, and it's about trying new things. Okay. I don't even think I changed the color palette. I I just did the same thing from the other book, but did the reverse. <laughs> And it was kind of to see, like, where do I fit in in this world, you know? And then I kind of sold out of those. But, yeah, it's weird. I would do these kids' book readings at places, and I would do both of them, and I'd have really diverse reactions on each. <laughs> I would then... love to be a fly on the wall at one of your book readings, like in a library somewhere, just watching the parents. The, oh, the kids would probably love it, but one, the parents would be like – one with 500 kids. Oh, wow. It was uh, – that was nuts because you, but the, the age range went from like five to nine or something. And, and that's a really way mm -hmm. to, to, you know, you know, the kids, it is, like, yeah, that's... the difference between a two-year-old and a three-year-old is not one year. No, not at all. Think, yeah. Right. It's, it's like one third more. Yes. So it's 33% more person <laughs> so, or, or math. I don't know the math, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I hear you. So, yeah, instrument. So I always do the wrong age grade. You know, I, I don't I just do it for me. And then I see what happens. And and uh, and then I did the book of hugs after that. And that, that is I don't know if it's a kid's book, but I wanted it to be in like hospital gift shops and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and people that one did really, I think, was really successful in the fact that it was like weird. People thought it was endearing and normal people were OK that it was weird. Mm hmm. So, uh, and then what else? Then I did the, a little book of butts after that, which is kind of like uh, half as half as inspired. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and I think that's it for that for now. Uh, we'll see. We'll see on that. But now I'm doing all these art shows, so I don't know. Okay, well, let's talk about the art shows. Yes. And so, well, actually, I want to talk about, we were talking about um, how the toy stores and stuff are struggling and yeah. whatnot. So yeah. I imagine you know a great deal about, you know, the gallery scene and gallery owners and stuff like that. Yeah. Are they experiencing at all the same sort of struggles as the toy stores or is the art world separate from the yeah, toy I would world hope in that so. regard? <laughs> um, 
I mean, I, I hope that I know something. I don't, as far as uh, the struggles, it it depends. Depends how they want to frame their their you know the stuff they present and who they're showing it to. You know, Los Angeles seems to be always a hotbed of interesting art, at least as far as you know related to what we are interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and New York has some some really interesting places, and and uh, Denver seems to have uh, stuff popping up. Every once in a while, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, oh, and there's some museum stuff too. I, I don't know. We we did an exhibition uh, that toured the 10 year uh, anniversary tour. Yeah, yep. that that. So so there's museums now that are kind of uh, hip to some interesting things uh, <laughs> out there. You know, uh, whether it was the um, Virginia Mocha or the Akron or the Crocker Museum in Sacramento. Um, they, those show some great stuff. And Los Angeles always has some great shows. Yeah, but yeah. It's nice to see some other satellite areas um, or different kinds of smaller cities get, um, you know, get wind of some different art that isn't just filled with artitude or the usual stuff. Artitude. I like that. Yeah, well, thanks. Did you, did, did you coin that? <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, we have a shared vocabulary around here. <laughs> so uh, a lot of times, I, I, Annie doesn't listen to any sort of podcasts or interviews I do, and I don't listen to hers. Uh, and I think sometimes it's because we use each other's phrases. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, yeah. So I'm not exactly sure. You know, where do I begin and, and she ends, ends and yeah. vice versa, you know? So I don't want to – most of the good stuff I ever say probably came from her. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's kind of you to say. And when you guys first started out, I know the uh, the print world has to be pretty tough, especially, you know, publishing is not easy, and especially in print. And so when you guys started out, Juxtapose is already kind of around, and you guys are not designer toy based, but at the same time, there was some – um, designer toy focused magazines and you guys were kind of using the same artists and there's some yeah. magazines popping up around the same time like Clutter and I think uh, there was a magazine called Playtimes so was doing some covering some designer toy artists and stuff so was there ever any sense of competition or is there more camaraderie among the, the printmakers or the, the publishers? You know Clutter came out right around uh, I think it was like the year before High Fructose did and and uh, and there was Super Seven magazine too, mm-hmm. and there was a bunch of magazines that came out. And it, it's funny, uh, not funny, but it just uh, you know some people, I, advertisers especially, would say, "Well, you guys are competitors and things like that." Back then, and now we have all these different other magazines that you know people can say that with. But I guess we never viewed things that way. I'm more, I'm, we're always like supportive, and um, we I don't know we've never talked trash about anybody or said anything and it's hard to make anything and it's hard to make a physical magazine of any kind or a toy or you know produce get to distribution is next to impossible now with Amazon Amazon taking everyone's attention and dollars and shipping costs and it's just um it's 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 really it's tougher it's actually easier to make things but harder to make a living from it right so um that makes sense yeah, so it's, I don't know, more more power to you, you know, to, to try to do any version of expressing yourself. And I, I always like things at a mass scale, you know, or a semi, you know, make I, I love making hundreds or thousands of something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, and, uh, I mean, that's great that you guys are all supportive. Hmm? I mean, I think that's awesome that all of you that were doing publications at that time were all sort of supportive of each other. I mean, you guys all understood that you had a common interest and a common goal to spread, you know, 
news and knowledge out there. And they're, they're, I like to hear that there wasn't like a competition thing going on. I, I don't, I don't think there was. Yeah. I mean, you'll have to ask um, Miranda. I, I don't, I don't think so. It was weird, you know. And then we moved and found our own niche, mm-hmm. you know, our own thing. Uh, but even from the beginning, we were, we were different. But I always, I think, yeah, no, they had my stuff in their magazine after we started. So I would assume that we're all fine. And then Super Seven. I mean, look at look at where they went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and such a different thing. And Mark, Mark Nagata, is, you know, and, and Brian and all those guys. So I don't, I don't know. It's uh, it's funny the people who stick around doing things, you know, um, and yeah. uh, where they where they end up. It's it's uh, interesting. Yeah. You know? So we were talking about um, artists that you've worked with that are both in the designer toy scene and outside, and you've worked with a lot of the um, some of the some of the more established names, I guess we'd say. Let's take out the term popular, but. Sure. Um, <laughs> How often do you have to deal with artist agents? Do you always work directly with the artists themselves? Or do you, I think I myself, I don't know too many people, at least in the toy scene, that have agents working for them. Um, but yeah, in, the, I, in the publication world, do you have to deal with agents? Um, I got to be careful uh, with things. Uh, <laughs> oh, you, no, you need to say yes or no. I mean, that's, no, yeah. no. Uh, it, most, most of the people we deal directly with, nine okay. times out of ten. Okay. The more re- the more established people we deal with, it, it's interesting. Sometimes uh, folks just starting out, they want to have buffers in between for everything. Gotcha. It's interesting how the folks who are more established or more secure with themselves, and then we deal with them that way. Okay. That being said, there's people – okay, a lot of the street art folks, they all have to go through somebody because they want to wear bandanas and not be seen even though they want the Nike deals. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if people want to, some people just like to remain, you know, like their privacy. They want to wear masks or remain mysterious to people. So sure. it's interesting. Yeah. 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 No, uh, that caveat with the street art thing, uh, uh, folks, there's a lot of folks who are, are fantastic and deal and, and easy to deal with. And some folks kind of want to be hard to deal with. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, for, I don't know, to, for different reasons. Just, just to do it, just to have that it, reputation. Yeah. You know, there's a popular Japanese artist that we've been dealing with forever and uh, or we, we were going back and forth forever and it was almost like a game and it lasted for years and, uh, <laughs> and, and it was like a game for, you know, whether we, we covered them or not uh-huh. um, uh, through their agents or not. I don't know, um, but I'll leave it there. Um, but the, uh, but uh, as far as a, I have an entertainment agent uh, okay. in uh, who deals with uh, pr- properties, but but they they represent a lot of lot of well known, uh, you know whether it was uh, just a, a ton of ton of directors and and creators and uh, book authors and things like that. Yeah. Uh, what's great about them is they kind of have their own lawyers too, and they know what the standards are, and they know a lot of folks, so they know what you know. It's a good way not to. Know, get ripped off and and to also get make sure you have a good paper trail and make sure you're not being taken advantage of but also knowing they could also put you in your place saying hey listen you don't have the clout to demand that that's or good. you know and that's what you need that's what that's you need what yeah you need that world uh i did a short for disney uh years ago and the 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 contract was a phone book you know um and they wanted like interplanetary rights for things wow <laughs> 
I'm not joking. It was interplanetary rights. Wow. And I think that was because of satellites and stuff. Jeez. It's just th <laughs> things you don't think about. That's crazy. Exactly. Because I think they were beaming satellites and things like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, anywho, I, I think, you know, so I think if you're doing that kind of stuff, that, that that's fine. Okay, yeah. Um, and then they take the percentage and that kind of thing, and that works out work fine. But uh, but then the illustrator reps, I, I I'm sure they still exist out there. They do. We deal with a lot of fine artists, and and sometimes we go through galleries. Um, sometimes uh, English is a problem uh, with some, so we do need like somebody to translate and uh, and and that kind of thing. So we we've dealt with reps for that kind of. Thing. Yeah. No, I think I definitely think agents have their place for sure. I mean, I think today with the with the internet and everything, things have changed a little bit. I think a lot of artists, I wouldn't say they're well, a lot of artists are scatterbrained, but a lot of them just don't update their the resumes and stuff. I think they're now starting to just use the social media sites as their portfolios, and I don't yeah. know if that's really that good. It's still great to have a place to go to and be able to see your resume. And I think on your web your website, you <laughs> archive and list your resume every, in, in really really well on your website. I think. Why is that funny? <laughs> well, Mr. Ham, may I call you Mr. Ham? You can call me Mr. Ham, sure. <laughs> okay, Mr. Ham, listen, my website was done with HTML. I know, it but it not, looks... It is not an example. <laughs> it makes it so old, it's new again. But I don't. I honestly don't know how to get back in there. <laughs> so I don't know how to get back in there to take it off. Somebody bought a, uh, like a remaining asterisk the other day, and we did, were like, what? What what do we do with this? <laughs> and we yeah, said that today. And, and so, yeah, no. So I'm not an example for that. But listen, you want my, my two cents on, on the portfolio stuff, I think, is that stop paying all the money and the, and the attention to your business cards and to your all that stuff and just work on the work. And when the work is good, people come to you. Uh, don't hide your stuff. But, but do you think it, you need it, to, it, like, like I was mentioning, like your like resume is all listed out. Like every show that you've done, whether it was big or small, is listed there. And I think a lot of artists. Is it? Oh, that oh. was so old, though. I don't even. I think when you. I don't know. I think. But I think that's good. I don't think enough artists do that today. They just kind of use Instagram or Flickr. Like that's and maybe that's yeah. where it is today. Maybe that's all art directors sure. need is just to go to those social media accounts rather than. Yeah. Look at a web like I don't think many artists even bother with websites today. I, yeah, I haven't had a portfolio or updated that website. I mean, that website's maybe six years old. You know, Jeez. so I don't. Maybe seven? maybe you aren't the example I thought you were. Yeah, no, I'm huh. not a good example. My LinkedIn is a little bit more because it was easy. You know, I, um, I do need to to update things, but uh, I listen when you're busy, you're busy, and that's <laughs> that's the other thing people need to know. Artists, I think, if I'm gonna give. Uh, not like I'd want to give any advice at all, but we deal with a lot of artists is that everybody, everybody who's decent uh, is usually busy. Okay. So you have to keep that in mind. So people might not get back to you for six months, or uh, I try to think of people as kind of uh, creative people as gears. So somebody might be just starting out and they're a small, powerful gear, you know, yeah. <laughs> and there's this big publishing thing or this big company and they're this big gear. And sometimes they mesh and they perfectly mesh. And I remember years ago, I would get a call calls from people and go, Hey, I want you to do this thing. We're looking at your portfolio. I'm like, what portfolio? And they're like, <laughs> Oh, this portfolio I was like, I sent that to you two years ago. Jesus. And, and, or, but most of it, I haven't had a portfolio in years. Um, and, or even cared about any of that stuff. 
because it just comes to you when you're working. Um, and uh, your reputation is kind of everything, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that is that and your work, you know. Yeah. Um, we work with people who are really great, but really irresponsible. So uh, <laughs> we don't hire them again. Right. Well, um, Ada, can I put in a request from you? Yeah. I really, I know it was probably about four or five years ago. I don't think you've updated it since, but your YouTube channel, they actually made that. Those, oh. are, those were a lot of fun. You need to get back to making those. <laughs> Thank you. That was, you know, that was supposed to be a show on on uh, on a uh, a network, like a real network. Okay. Okay. And that's where it was going. So that and, was like your little pilot episode sort of? Well, no. And then I said, well, screw that. You don't want my show? I'm going to make it in my kitchen with my phone. <laughs> So when Annie was out getting groceries one day, and normally I get the groceries, it seems lately, but uh, she was out getting the groceries or something or dog food or something. And I said, I'm going to take the the uh, the mommy to be doll, which is kind of the knockoff bar pregnant Barbie. Mm -hmm. And I uh, and I just did it right then and there. And then uh, I sent it over to my friend Kyle. Uh, he just he edits it. Okay, okay, so he does it and works with me on that because you can't it's just too much, you know. And uh, anyway, so that thing got on the Wendy Williams show. Okay, I think that was the first episode. Okay, and I think that and now it has what three point five million. Yeah, I was gonna, views? I was gonna say that one like was really popular, <laughs> and then and that's what I mean. It's funny because that was the first one, and I was like, I'm on to something. <laughs> And it got on the Wendy Williams show, and they were talking about that doll as if it was made today. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and they, so they were debating it. They didn't get and it. <laughs> it. And oh, it was fantastic. It was just great. I love that. And then, uh, and that was just in my office here. Like, it's just over there. Yeah. <laughs> I can see all so, your toy collection in the background and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and completely. So I was just grabbing things from the floor <laughs> <laughs> and, and going into the kitchen. And that was the kitchen, and I was like, and then I was just filming it with my phone, and, and then people are saying, well, why don't we get a better, you know, get a tripod or something, or do something, and I was like, no, no, that's the spirit of it, it's just me with the damn phone, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because then it would be work like everything else, you know, um, so I don't, I don't know, uh, yeah, I, I do like they actually made that was really fun. I, I would maybe like to do some more. Well, talk to, talk to your Hollywood agent and get this uh, on that, on Netflix. We were going to. I don't. I don't know. Oh, have you seen those? Uh, the uh, the toys that made us stuff. Of course, of course, yeah. I did. And actually, season two is going to start up um, May twenty fifth. Actually. Really? Yeah, because I know the theme song mentioned eight episodes. So uh, yeah, you know what? I know some folks in there too. Oh, you do. Know. Yeah, and the uh, people getting interviewed, and I gotta say, I was so surprised with how much dirt they were slinging. <laughs> and, and in there and it was really fantastic it's actually really good it's, it's well done i really enjoy it's it actually, normally done from a kid's or a puff perspective it's very like just yeah mm -hmm. you know and but this they actually have true story there was stuff in there that i learned you know and yeah. i worked at some of those companies so that's cool um, yeah it, it's actually a it's it's good now you it's, mentioned uh super seven so brian flynn made an appearance on there and josh hubbelsheimer oh Oh, yeah, they were on yeah. there, so we'll we'll yeah. see what pops up in the next four episodes. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, it's uh, 
I don't know. That's kind of how it is. I'm glad they interviewed the designers. Yeah. You know, and and some of the toy inventors and showed some of the some of the weird the, stuff. The, how the toy companies knock knock other toy companies off, and 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 also about Lucas uh, them losing losing the. Uh, Star oh, Wars. that was heartbreaking! What a story! Yeah, holy <laughs> crap! Yeah, oh, that was fantastic because <laughs> we knew about that and everything, and it's just you know nobody wants to talk about these things, and it was I can't believe they actually were telling some of these stories. It's fantastic. It's great to see. Like you can't like we can't talk about what's currently going on in the designer toy scene, but maybe twenty, thirty years from now, you'll hear people sharing real stories of what you know is happening behind the scenes with some of the. I, I guess so. We'll see. I bet you Critter Box has a lot. I bet you Critter Box has a lot, but I don't know. That's all. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be contacting them yeah. soon. But no, Critter Box was awesome. I missed it. Their packaging was awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gosh, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. And the Strange Co. I'm just, I'm, I'm name dropping here, but yeah, Strange Co. Strange and Co. Uh, Jim, Greg, Gregory, yeah. and, uh, and the Wee and, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. It was really exciting, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it's, it was, Sad to see things. Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty crazy decade and a half, and I think we've learned a lot along the way. You know, I don't know. I, I just think it just created a medium of expression, and uh, personally, and it did. I just think, and then now it's an avenue for whoever to do what have you, and that yeah. there's a market. But to do things for collectibles reasons is always kind of silly. I think. I think to do things when when the, something has the word collectible on it, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just I, I, the real collectible things are pieces of art or pieces of flesh slash soul that's molded into something. Right. You know, that is something that was you know not a, a million different colorways. Oh different, right, don't be a completist. But yeah, don't buy things that say collectible or things like that if you can help it. Some of me just got to because they're they they scratch that little weird itch yeah. of yours. You know, yeah, only buy what you'd and, like. But buy yeah. some art from some people who uh, some you know. Yeah, and when you buy a piece of art, that's that's the thing. What I like about a lot of this stuff, or the like, the art that we show too. I mean, we have artists who are you know have giant museum shows and retrospectives and things. But um, the idea of a average person or a, a slightly maybe above average uh, a person who has a, a little bit more money than an average person mm -hmm. buying a, an original piece of art and and getting permission to do so, yeah, is um, is pretty fantastic. You know, it is. because it makes a, a difference to them. They have something to actually love, like a family member. And um, and then also the artist really uh, it does make a huge difference. Yeah. No, I know a lot of collectors that started off, collect, you know, they got the gateway drag of, of, of Dunnies and they bought in and sure. they discovered artists. And now, you know, they almost stopped buying the the mass produced toys. And now they're supporting the artists through either customs that they've done or the original paintings and stuff like that. So. Yeah, save up the money, get a Tristan Eaton, there you, you go. know, there you go. Get, get a Tristan Eaton, get a, a, a Mike Levitt sculpture, you know, <laughs> I mean, his stuff is, is fantastic. And, and, you know, um, you know, get, get a, get a Josh Keys something or other yeah. if you can. All right, um, Ada, we're at the point of the show when you start yeah. wrapping it up. So how about a quick round of lightning questions? Okay, here we go. All right. What was your first designer toy purchased? Uh, it was, I guess it was a... Uh, Pete Fowler little ring believe okay. it or not do you know right. what the most recent toy purchase was uh, most recent toy purchase oh um, that could be it it does not have to be designer toy it could just be toy purchase a toy purchase uh let's see I bought a domino rally the other day okay yep okay yep you know what that is 
Is it like a stack em up domino course or something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So I bought, I bought all of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, if if give... And the aforementioned aquarium, plastic aquarium yes. plant. Yes. I, will, I will count those. Oh, your wife must love you. Yeah. <laughs> if... Oh, forget it. She's got her own, own oh, stuff. She's, she's her own hangups. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. If uh, if your house is on fire, you only have time to save three toys. What are they? Uh, oh, it's on fire right now. It's currently on fire. Get the hell oh, out of the house. Shit. Okay, I'm gonna get the Doctor Seuss, the Doctor Seuss uh, stuff. What are they called? God, I'm I'm forgetting what they're <laughs> called. But the, the, my Doctor Seuss toys over there. Okay. Yeah, the ones you can interchange and stuff. Those I freaking love. And and probably Wacky Watermelon uh, from Cragston. And then maybe the uh, oh, and Little Miss No Name. Okay. Yeah, from 1964. Yeah, she's freaking. Google search a Little Miss No Name, anybody, and your brains will explode. Well, that was going to be my next question. What's your most favorite childhood toy? Oh, childhood toy. I didn't really like toys very much. Uh, my brother, my brother did. I was a sourpuss. Uh, <laughs> so I liked to mope a lot and pretend I had it worse than I did. Okay. Uh. But we played with Star Wars figures, of course. Legos made me cry. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's see. Uh, I did like space helmets. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the last, this isn't really a question. This is more of a, I want to know if this is true or not. Is it true that you use Bob Ross to lull you to sleep? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're awesome. going you're gonna to make me cry. Uh, when, for, folks, once you turn 40... Uh, you start crying over weird things, and uh, <laughs> um, and and uh, yes, no, Bob Ross. After the after the elections, I was really messed up, like most people, and I needed to uh, regain my personality uh-huh, and my and my brain back. See the happy I trees just, and the happy clouds put you to sleep. Yeah, huh? and, and and I'm telling you, folks, on Netflix, I li- I listen, I don't watch, I listen to Bob Ross. And that's when I started. Um, I started painting cardboard mushrooms and leaving them all over the place uh, for people to find, and that was my way of fighting back and arting harder. Um, and then that led to my soul, my show over at Corey Helford Gallery. Mm-hmm. I showed my mushrooms called Grow in the Dark, but that was all because I hated painting. I did a lot of painting shows. I did a lot of customs for years. But I did never. I never enjoyed the process until Bob Ross. So Bob Ross, he got he got Bob, he got to you subconsciously. Exactly. So uh, yes, and then I figure if you could trust anybody, because I was falling asleep to the news, you know, and that's no way to go to sleep. No, no, that'll keep you up. <laughs> and I, but I needed something. And but if you're gonna trust anybody, you're gonna trust trust a guy with an afro who talks to squirrels. He's got a very soothing voice, that Bob Ross. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, we were yeah, it, you know. That's great. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, Bob Ross. I I, I recommend a dose of uh, BR for anyone. Uh, that is my uh, that is my suggested drug of choice. Well, I'm glad that he got you back into like enjoying painting because I went to your Instagram account. It looks like it has like an infection. There's so many uh, fungi going on. And I, what I like about your work, you're not just painting on a square canvas you're actually like cutting out the shapes and and painting them and and all that sort of stuff so i think that well, that stuff's really cool thank you sir because that is i'm building paintings and that's kind of what you know ties in the, the toy stuff i think as long as i think that i'm building like making something 
and not a, a, a making a picture. And I feel I'm more comfortable that way. You know, I don't know. It's I, I found a really good spot, and I've never really said that about that kind of fine art before. Yeah. So we need a pop up uh, fungus book from you. Ah, it's funny you said that. Oh, really? <laughs> oh my! Is that God. actually happening? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we've been in talks. Oh wow! <laughs> now it was just a kind of a joke because yeah. they look like they should be in a pop-up book. They're well, three-dimensional and all. They're all layers. Okay. Yeah, they're layers. They come off the thing. Uh, we're doing the Art of the Mushroom Show. A high fructose presents the Art of the Mushroom Show at the Compound Gallery in, in October. Okay. Okay, and that's gonna have I think fifty-three artists that we've shown in the magazine doing their interpretation of mushrooms and how it's influenced or uh their work in some sort of strange way awesome so uh yeah that is coming and that's going to be pretty nuts the lineup is is just out of control very cool so uh and that'll be good but yeah no my grandmother used to paint mushrooms um at in her ceramic studio and um while my grandpa did did magic tricks for the the ladies who took her classes oh that's awesome i I like the little sentiment to it yeah i think that's all i got left Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All you got left is sentiment. Yeah. So, well, Ada, you know, we've, uh, we've been talking for just over an hour and a half now, so we got to start uh, wrapping it up. Okay, let's, um, yeah, let's wrap it up. Gosh. Yeah. So why don't you take a brief moment and just let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah. Ch- check out High Fructose. You can check it out at hifructose.com, uh, and that's our magazine. And you could check out my Instagram, which is Atta, A-T-T-A, Yum Factory, Atta Yum Factory, um, on Instagram. That's I'm pretty much weaning myself off of Facebook. Okay. So uh, getting off of there uh, as much as I can. I know Instagram and Facebook, they're owned by the same people. But uh, go there, um, and you'll see odd stuff. Uh, you know, <laughs> you'll see all the, the new games and things and then the art and whatnot. Okay. And that's the best place to go. That's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. You're you're a blast, and good luck. Okay. Congratulations on all your success and everything you have going on in the future. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And um, I'm Gary Ham. You can find me at Gary Ham on Instagram or superham.com. And this has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We try to do this every week, not because we have to, but because we want to. So until our next transmission, we're signing off. Bye. All right. <laughs>